Probably I'm the biggest and strongest goat of all time. A prize winner. Probably that means that when I'm full grown, I'll get my own barn. High on a hill. You guys are here. Welcome. Welcome to your very first episode of the Goat American Novel by Hildy Frusterling. This is episode one, the very beginning of our journey into the Goat American Novel, an all-ages barnyard comedy thriller podcast. I'm so excited. Let's clear one thing up right away. The word goat used here does not mean greatest of all time. This is a podcast about the adventures of a herd of goats, actual goats, and their allies, nemesises, legends, their ghosts. This is, finally, the story I think we've all been waiting for, where actual goats are the main characters in all their stubborn, noisy, ravenous glory. Yeah, there will be bleeding, there will be butting, there will be high goat drama. And spooky vibes. And spooky vibes. (laughs) This podcast will be a three-season journey, with new episodes coming out every second Friday. I'm Aaron Alden, producer, art director, and world's leading expert in saving chihuahuas from falling off of cliffs into brambles. I'm Ursula Bucher, children's library consultant and goat bottle feeding veteran. And we'll be your guides to this journey. I'll be keeping you up to date on the nuts and bolts, like where you can get a new goat t-shirt or when the new season is dropping. And I'll be giving you content warnings because sometimes the grown-up goats use inappropriate language. They can't help it. They are nanny goats. They have earned the right to use a little salty language. And some of the episodes will get a little scary, so as a children's librarian specialist, I'll be helping our all-ages family audience navigate the more treacherous moments. And we'll be giving you recaps and reminders so you know where you're at in the story. Okay, Ursula, where do we start in the first episode? Who are we going to meet? We start with a kid, that's a baby goat like the ones I bottle fed, having a bit of a scary dream. How scary are we talking? Medium light. Not scary for the listener. And we meet the four goat kids, who are the main characters of the novel. We also meet their farmer, FM, and get a sense of what goes on in a day on this farm. Okay, I'm excited. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Gotina's hooves were twitching. In the black wool of a dark night's dream, Gotina, the littlest goat, was walking down the corridor of a barn, but not any barn she knew, not the goat barn where she lived with her family, or even the barns of the neighboring sheep and alpacas. This was altogether a different barn. It was dank and musty, with no fresh hay or warm smells of living animals. The stalls of this barn had high doors for horses or cows, and the corridor went on forever. 
Gotina had to pick her way on nimble hooves. Everything was coated with an inch of dust, and all around her were rotten planks with rusty nails sticking out. But more than anything else in that barn, she was surrounded by boxes. Stacks of boxes higher than her head, and every box was spilling out its guts of human stuff. Brightly colored glints of glass, saddle-musty leather-bound books, faded water-stained satin jewel-toned gowns. Hello? Mango? Dandy? Silver? She tried to bleat out the names of her sister and cousins, but her voice was weak and stunted in the way of dreams. Instantly, she regretted calling out, because she felt the power of even her weak bleat cut through the ancient silence and rattle the bones of the old barn. The stall door nearest her echoed her bleat back to her, then spilled open with a crash, and a stack of boxes came spilling out, exploding their contents all around her. Broken glass caught the moonlight. Gotina peered into the topmost box and saw with a shudder that it was filled with empty human hands. Long white hands shaped just like her farmer F.M.'s hands, but long, white, flat, and empty. Gotina's long, twitchy kid legs sproinged right over the contents of the box. But when she landed, the soft bump-bump of her four hooves meeting the carpet of dust on old planks was answered by a loud click in the corridor at the far end of the barn. With a click came on a light in the stall, but also sound. Sound like nothing Gotina knew. It was a sound like unknown animals wailing and mules stamping, their calls rising then falling apart, going in different directions, each one pulling little Gotina's heart with its insistent, haunting call. All the while, the mules never gave up their stamping rhythm, pulling Gotina down, down the corridor. No! She bleated. She heard a rumble inside the stall. The sounds hiccuped and the lights swayed and her legs seemed to move on their own. Down the corridor of the barn. No! She repeated. And this time she stamped her hoof and reared up, fur bristling to butt the wall. The rhythm and the wailing stopped, and the light went out. Gotina blinked to readjust to the darkness, and it was then that she heard a new sound. A low, creaking groan. The stall door nearest to her was groaning open, and Gotina watched, horrified, as the moonlight spilling through the window cut a shadow shape onto the barn floor. It was the moon shadow of a goat with one long horn sticking straight out of her forehead. Gotina opened her mouth. The goat scream! Gotina! Shh! Wake up! Shh! Uh-uh. I'm not sleeping. Gotina opened her eyes to see her own warm, clean stall and her sister Mangoat's brown and white spotted coat standing over her. Quiet! 
Mangoat said. Danny wants to show us something. Be, be quiet. You're in a week, Mom and Auntie Baba. Come on, the others are already waiting for us. The door to their stall was closed, but the two little goats stretched out their giraffish legs flat to the ground and squeezed their little horned heads, then their bellies under the wood planks of the stall door. And then, with a little white waggle of their tail flags, they slid their back legs under and were through. Gotina and her big sister Mangoat clopped out around to the moonlit side of the barn. Dandy and Silver, the two other girl kids born that spring, were waiting for them. Took you long enough, said Silver importantly, drawing herself up to her full height, from where she could tower over her smaller sister and cousins as they came out. Mangoat, who was a good three inches shorter than Silver, didn't answer with words. Just let the brown fur ripple up along her spine, then let fly a rearing butt that dug her sharp little horn buds into Silver's chest and twisted. Silver reared up and came swooping down to crack her massive head against her little cousin, but Mangoat frisked to the side, and Silver slammed her head against the wall of the barn instead. Guys, Dandy said, cut it out. Get her, sis! hissed Gotina, who was the tiniest of them all. Mango took advantage of Silver disentangling herself from the wood of the barn to score another hit, this one against Silver's belly. Guys, you'll wake our moms, Dandy bleated. <laughs> Mango chortled over her last low blow, then reared her head back. You think you're so big, Silver? You think you're so tough, Silver? But... Silver was so big, and Silver was so tough. This time, her huge skull, with its horns twice as thick as Mangoat's, cracked directly home and knocked Mangoat, tail over tea kettle. Okay, Silver, you're the biggest and strongest. Everyone knows it, Dandy said. Silver lifted her head loftily. Probably I'm the biggest and strongest goat of all time. A prize winner. That's what neighbor Elmer always calls me. Probably that means that when I'm full grown, I'll get my own barn, high on a hill, and horses will come to me every day and bring me their prizes, which is probably apples and carrots that they usually only give to racehorses. And cows will come to give me their hay. No, their alfalfa. And you three, you three, will have to brush my coat and bring me blackberry vines. And you, Mangoat, you, every time I want to eat from a tree, you will have to stand under it. And I will stand on your back. And then I will climb you and I will nibble from the tastiest treats. At this seemingly endless monologue, her sister Dandy reared her own little black head. Will? Crack. You? Crack. Stop. Crack. Bragging. Silver absorbed these blows from her sister without any sign of pain and smiled down on her. Yeah, yeah, Dandy. Tell them what you told me. Quiet descended then, as the three other kids turned to look at Dandy. Dandy was an all-black kid in a spotty brown herd. She was of average height and strength, and her only distinguishing marks were a pair of sharp brown eyebrows. Her horns also were distinct for a kid 
in that they were already beginning to show signs of the mysterious twist which develops in the horns of old wise goats. Come on, tell us, Dandy, Mangoat bleated. Dandy pawed the ground with her hoof slowly, and the other kids couldn't help but notice how quiet the farm suddenly seemed, and how Dandy's coat was as black as the night, with a little moonlight glinting off her, and how sharp, how ageless were Dandy's eyebrows. Hooted an owl, sharp overhead, and little Gotina startled her little hooves, springing up like springs. She looked up and rubbed her cousin on the chin. Come on, Dandy, please tell us. Dandy nodded. Well, okay. To begin with, you know that little animal with eight legs? Everyone shuddered. Mom says they're called spiders, but I just call them creepers. Yeah, spiders, Dandy answered. Have you noticed that when we were born, we'd only see one little small one now and then, but now they're everywhere, Gotina answered, her eyes growing. I didn't want to say nothing, but I see them all the time now. Mango shrugged. I just stomp them. Yeah, Dandy said. Yeah, they're everywhere now. And not only that, they're getting bigger. But the really strange part is they're now, well, they're, they're making things with their butts. Mango and Gotina stared at her. It's true, Silver declared. Because I'm so much taller than the rest of you, something that's been happening to me is that when I walk through the alders, I scrape my face against these annoying strings that are suddenly everywhere. Yeah, so... Silver told me about the strings. So today I sat and watched the trees this morning while the rest of you were napping, and pretty soon this huge fat spider came falling down from a branch right in front of my face. Then it stopped right in midair, and that's when I saw that it was hanging from a string coming right out of its butt. Silver and Gotina whispered, Gross! In unison, while Mangoat whispered, Cool! by herself. It gets worse, Dandy continued. It swung on the string over to a branch, and then it used two of its creepy legs to grab its butt string and stick it to another branch. And then it ooped itself over to another branch and did it again, and then another, and... You better come see for yourselves. The four little goats clip-clopped over to the stand of alders at the corner of the goat paddock. And there, glistening with the dew in the moonlight, was a spider web. That's what it made with its butt string. The four goats stared. Look, something's stuck in it, said Gotina. They all moved closer to inspect the thing. Mango chuckled. It's one of those horrible horseflies. You're trapped, you little pest. No more biting me. Mango reared back her head to butt the trapped creature, but Dandy bumped her away. Don't do it. Those things are sticky. Yeah, said Silver. I mean, when I walk through one, I had it in my fur all day. Look how the fly is trapped in it. 
the fly, its wings pathetically. It's all tired out. Imagine how awful that would feel. It can't even move its legs now. Serves him right, Mangoat bleated. Dandy, Gotina asked. My mom said it would take three years before I was full grown. But these spiders are growing too, and already they can do this. What if, what if, what if when spiders are full grown, they can make these things big enough to trap goats? Dandy finished. Gotina nodded. Dandy nodded back. Gotina blurked her cud to relieve her tension. Mangoat butted Silver to relieve her tension. Silver knocked Dandy into Gotina to relieve her tension. All four goats got back to their hooves and returned their attention to the fly's feeble struggles in the web. It was then that the spider made her appearance, moving fast as lightning, making straight for the fly, picking her way along a line of her web, her eight menacing legs bristling in anticipation. Sensing danger in the subtle movements on the web, the fly louder, struggling with its last strength. But it was too late. The spider arrived, pulling strings from its butt, and made one quick loop around the fly, wrapping it once, then setting each leg to work, spinning more and more and more string around the still-struggling fly, wrapping it up with string until its buzz was choked, and it could struggle no more. Then the spider made her final attack, brandishing two horrible fangs that the little goats had never noticed before, and sunk them into the fly and commenced to suck all the juices out of its living corpse. When the spider was sated, Gotina broke the silence with a hoarse little bleat. Do you think F.M. knows about this? F.M. must know about this, Dandy answered. Do you think... If a spider got big enough, it could do that to a little goat. Don't worry, Gotina. I'll stomp him, Mangoat answered, but her bleat got stuck in her throat. No way, Silver stamped her hoof. No way would F.M. let that happen to her prize winner. And, head held high, Silver stamped back to the barn. The others followed her. called FM by everyone she knew. This is because those were her initials, but also because as Farmer Marianne went around her farm, she hummed to herself, sang little pieces of songs and snatches of things to herself, old sayings or pronouncements on the weather or the health of the animals or the size of the eggs. And if you listen to her puttering around her farm, saying and singing little bits and pieces, you might think she sounded like an FM radio. An FM radio is an old-time machine, and it is still all around you, but it is mostly invisible. All around you, the air is full of invisible strings of songs and weather reports and 
people yelling about the news and people talking about young people these days and saying we have to get back to the olden days and then playing more songs, usually songs from the golden olden days, which, it must be admitted, are pretty great. An FM radio receiver, your grandparents probably have one in their car, has a little dial that reaches around in the air and catches strings of songs and weather reports and talking and and spits them out onto the radio's receiver speakers. And you need a machine like this if you want to hear the FM radio waves. If you keep twisting the dial around, it sounds like this. Clouds this morning over the greater Seattle. Traffic backed up all the way from the stadium to the iron worker. And now you're hearing the theme from Swan Lake, which is a song with no words. And so on. And if you keep twisting the dial, you will eventually get back around to the song about the careless whispers. And you should just stop twisting the dial and leave it there because careless whispers ends with a clucker of a saxophone solo. Then a voice says, gee, Scott, they don't make music like that anymore. And Scott says, no, Jack, young people these days have no appreciation. And at that point, it is probably a good idea to start twisting the dial again and find another song. This process is called tuning in. FM, the person, seemed to always be tuning in, whether she had her radio with her or not. She didn't have a radio on her little tractor, so as she rode her fence lines, she'd tune in her own little song with her own human voice. Maybe a song about the Wichita line or I Walk the Line, as she rode her fence lines, attending to each animal in turn. The morning after the youngest kids of her herd of Nubian goats had had their midnight meeting to discuss spiders was a morning much like any other. F.M. got up and made coffee and toast with Nutella for herself, kibble with assorted organ meats for her farm dog, Pearl, and she chased the chickens out of her pumpkin patch. There always seemed to be chickens in her pumpkin patch in the mornings. She and Pearl ate on the front step of the cabin that morning because it was late August, and the weather was still very fine, with no hint yet of the smell of falling leaves, although F.M. knew that would come soon. She and Pearl barely fit on the step together, F.M. being a woman of healthy, substantial frame and, and Pearl being a great Pyrenees, but they didn't mind eating their breakfast snuggled up to each other. Come on now, Pearly, chores, F.M. said, licking the last of the Nutella from the corner of her mouth. Pearl barked her excitement and dashed out into the sunshine, which gleamed magnificently off her luxurious white coat. Good morning, chickens. Good morning, girls, F.M. called, opening their gates and watching them run around in the morning air. 
Lifting the chicken's feed bucket, she'd made a little face at the pinch of pain in her back, and then standing, she'd sung a few lines of Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. It was hard for Pearl to behave herself and not chase the chickens, but FM was the sort of woman who knew how to make her expectations clear, and she would not stand for her chickens being chased. That morning, as every morning, as she poured out the oyster shell and corn for the chickens, the rooster stared at her. FM met his beady black eyes, the curious eyes of a creature who was born from an egg, who'd been eating solid food instead of mother's milk since the first moment he'd hatched. A creature who had no fingers and no teeth, but possessed instead sixteen wives and the ability to fly. The rooster's name was Uncle Rusty, and he was a good rooster, which meant he didn't attack the legs of the neighbor's children, and he always let the hens eat first. It was because of letting the hens eat first that he and F.M. always had a little moment to stare at each other, to lock eyes and try to understand a bit of one another's alien souls. It had become quite a ritual. F.M., today as usual, brought this daily ritual to a close by saying, We're not so different, you and I. We're not so different, you and I, is something that villains say to heroes in old movies, when the villain has the hero tied up and the bomb is about to go off and the villain thinks that the movie is over, and, and it's definitely a good time to make a speech about how they, the villain, have won and say to the hero, we're not so different, you and I, before the bomb goes off and they all get to watch the world burn. But the hero knows there's a little chunk of movie left, because she already has her hands untied behind her back, and so she says, tell me more, villain. Tell me more about how we're not so different, you and I. Just to buy herself a little more time to disable the bomb. F.M. knew that Uncle Rusty had never watched any old movies, but she still liked to say it to him. To finish up their awkward but pleasant ritual session of, you may have 16 wives, but I have fingers. Eye contact. Ruff! Pearl interjected. She always felt she needed to remind F.M. that dogs were much more interesting, much more suited for long periods of eye contact than were chickens. Right you are, pearly girl. Then F.M. spun on her heels and sang an old song. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. Before heading off to feed the pigs. F.M. always cheerfully, good morning, the pigs, overtopped the little pain in her back that came when she lifted the boxes of pig food off the tractor. The pigs watched her back with their small, clever eyes. It's another sunny day, pigs. Zero percent chance of rain, but, F.M. said, opening the boxes, a hundred percent chance of donuts. The pigs liked peaches and drumsticks and old chow mein, anything a person might like, and FM fed them mostly with grocery store cast-offs. But their favorite thing in the world was the stale donuts that came from the neighbor's bakery. That and mud. The pigs liked to play tag and get back scratches and lay in the sun, but mud and rolling in the mud was the main thing. It was the best thing, really, about being a pig. 
F.M. glanced at their wallow and saw that their mud was looking a little dried up under the summer sun. And a hundred percent chance of me putting the hose in there and wetting your wallow. And as she sprayed the mud with the hose, she sang, Let it rain, oh, let it rain. F.M. always saved the goats for last. Their pasture was large, the shady alder canopy at the far end. Today, as usual, as she made her musical way from the pig enclosure to the goat pasture, she made sure to make enough noise to alert her two youngest neighbors. Little Arcteryx, seven years old, came clambering over the fence with his tiger stuffy under his arm, his tangled butt-length hair streaming and getting snarled up in the splintery fence wood as he crossed. As usual, Arcteryx hustled up breathless and called, Hi, Fem! Hi, Paul! and then threw his arms around the great Pyrenees dog for a bear hug. Then to F.M. he said, I can carry these. And he wrestled the buckets of goat feet out of her arms and ran ahead toward the goat gate. Somewhat after Arcteryx came Layla, his 11-year-old sister, rolling her body over the top of the fences because her hands were filled with a knitting project. F.M. waited for Layla to walk dreamily over to her. I'm learning to purl, see? Layla said showing F.M. her knitting. Oh, Pearl! Good morning, Pearl! Good morning, Pearly Girly Whirly! Layla had dropped to the ground and taken Pearl's face in her hands. Pearl rewarded the girl with full licks of her giant pink tongue. Do you know why it's called Pearling, Pearl? Do you? Do you know? Is it after you, Pearly? Is it? Oh, Pearl. Once F.M. opened the goat gate, she had to take the buckets of grain back from Arcteryx because a herd of goats could make short work of knocking over a seven-year-old child and stealing the grain from him. F.M. lifted the buckets serenely over the heads of the swarming, butting mass of caprine life. Caprine is a word which means about goats. Layla and Arcteryx loved the goats almost as much as F.M. herself did. They knew enough to stand back while F.M. poured the grain into the various troughs. One trough for Mangoed and Gotina and their mother and yearling sister. One for Silver and Dandy and their mother and yearling sisters. One small bucket each for the two nannies who had birthed only little billies that year. F.M. couldn't keep billies on her farm. Just the presence of a billy ruined the flavor of the cheese. And finally, one small bucket for Goat Ko Ono, the ancient matriarch of the goat herd. Once the goats had eaten their grain, Arcteryx called, Come on, goaties! and ran over to the teeter-totter. The kids immediately began brawling and butting each other to be the one he would bounce off the teeter-totter first. Layla lay down under the alder tree and began telling F.M. a long story about a goat who wanted to run away and be a karate superstar, because she was being persecuted by her cruel governess. Pearl lay down next to Layla to listen to the story. The dog chewed a stick because she knew she wasn't allowed to do what she wanted to do, which was run in circles around the goats, herding them in ever tighter circles by nipping at the heels and driving them, driving them, driving them. <sighs> no. Nope, she couldn't do that. So she sat with Layla in the shade, accepting pats and chewing hard on her stick. F.M. listened to the story with one ear as she milked the four nannies. It had been hard to leave the goat yard that beautiful day. 
After playing on the teeter-totter, Arcturix had pulled out his favorite toy, a tiger stuffy named Pork Rinds, and tied it to the backs of the little goats, pretending the stuffy was a rodeo rider. Layla had filmed these proceedings on a phone-shaped block of wood she always kept in her pockets, and she narrated the rodeo for her imaginary U-Snap audience. FM had sat back in the sunshine to watch, and her herd queen, Mama Chichi, settled down to rest beside her. Summertime. FM sang quietly about the beauty of summertime. And the pasture is breezy. The little repairs and jobs she had to do could wait a little longer. Goats are jumping. And the neighbor's kids are wild. All of Farmer Marianne's neighbors called her FM as did all the people who drove up to her farm to buy goat cheese and milk and pumpkins and sides of pork and blackberry cordial. They all called her FM, had for years. Her neighbor, Elmer, the old wool and mule farmer, had called her FM for the first time nearly two dozen years ago, in her first days on her farm, when he'd heard her sing her way along her new fence lines, and the nickname had immediately had the ring of something that would stick. That night, Long, long ago, when Elmer the mule and sheep neighbor had first called her F.M., F.M. had taken out her dictionary in the warm, cozy light of her little cabin. She'd found the entry for F.M., and she read aloud, F.M., abbreviation, frequency modulation. She'd put down the dictionary and looked at herself in the mirror. She was tall. She was round. Her hair was already beginning to go silver. Her cheeks were ruddy pink. Her arms were strong. And her eyes had the brightness of days spent entirely under the sky. Frequency modulation, she'd said to herself that night. And to her, it was a tiny poem that made her thrill in her soul. No one alive now really knows, really understands what the old-timey scientists and radio inventors were thinking when they came up with those words, frequency modulation. But somehow, they meant it to describe the way the strings of songs and traffic reports wriggle as they travel invisibly through the air. Inside the radio, there is a little crystal somewhere deep inside the reach of the radio tuner dial. And that crystal somehow has a way of wiggling around inside the radio in different ways to catch the different strings or waves in the air. Each wave has its own wiggle. Sometimes when a neighbor, Elmer or Millicent, the mother of Layla and Arcturix, would ask her, What's the weather going to be, F.M.? How's egg production, FM? She'd think to herself, frequency modulation. Before answering, I predict another week of heat, and then an early frost, but only in the lowlands. And then drifting off to tend to her animals and sing an old-time song. listening for coming with us on this journey this very start of this journey before you go please do take the time to leave us a review on your podcast app and also please follow us go to american novel pod on instagram all your fun behind the scenes stuff 
The Goat American novel is written and performed by Hildy Festerling, with additional voice performances by Ursula Bucher, Johnny Bucher, Gabriel Alden, Caleb Alden, and Aaron Alden. Yes, it is a family jam. Our amazing opening theme is by the Steam Brass Band. Definitely check them out. Our in-episode music was performed by Elliot Tothill, Emma Radosevich, Joshua Rutherford, and Peter Hutchinson at the Electric Unicorn Studio in Bellingham, Washington. Our producer and art director is Aaron Alden, and our project manager is Courtney Lyons. Our children's library consultant is Ursula Bucher, and thanks so much to Johnny Bucher for all the technical assistance. Until next time. Seven seas, everybody's looking for something.